Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 58 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. 58 episodes. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network here in Dublin. It's fantastic to be coming to you once again on this crisp and very, very cold winter's morning, which may be a morning and evening. It may even be a summertime by the time you're listening to this. But we are here again, and we are in the Tawn. We are in the Ulster Cycle, in the greatest story of Irish mythology. This is part five. This is 58, part five. It's all getting very, very convoluted. A few things... Make your pardon a few things before we crack on with the story. If this is your first time listening, I highly doubt it is that you'd have jumped into 58 part 5 as your first time. But if it is, certainly go back to the start of the thorn, if not the start of episode 1, um, to see what we're building up to over the past, over a year now at this stage. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Um, you can please do continue to subscribe, or follow us, leave ratings, reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, the reviews and ratings, they do all make a difference. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. It's the best way of keeping in touch with me and for keeping in t- up to date with what I'm doing. And if you really, really love it, uh, you can, of course, always subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. So we are in part five of the Thorn. This is Ferdia at the Ford. This is very much the climax of the story. It's probably the most famous aspect of the most famous part of the most famous uh, story of Irish mythology. And that is the fight between Cullen and his best friend Ferdia. And I'm not going to give anything else away. We'll chat more afterwards about the story, about what I've been up to over the past week or so. Uh, but this is Ferdia at the Ford on Fireside. <laughs> The Thorn, Part 5 The armies of Queen Maeve of Connacht lay in ruins. She had sent warrior after warrior to fight Cú Cullen in single combat, 
and every one she had sent had been slain like kittens in the jaws of the Hound of Ulster. And when Cúchulain had been sent into a healing slumber for three days by his father, Lou Lavada, the boys' troop of Ulster came to their brother's aid. But when the hound awoke and discovered his brothers in arms had met their end at the hands of the collected armies of the four provinces, he entered his warp spasm and had decimated his enemy's armies. Queen Maeve's numbers were still great, but severely reduced. They could not withstand another of Cucullin's warp spasms. They would need to find a way to defeat the hound, and fast. The only one in their collective who proved the equal in wit to Cucullin was his fellow Ulster man, Fergus MacRoke. Fergus had been the king of Ulster before King Conchobar MacNassa, and although he had exiled himself in Connacht and now fought against Ulster, Cucullin and he had always maintained a strong respect for each other. This had increasingly bothered Queen Maeve, who felt like Fergus was playing one side against the other. She was not entirely mistaken. But Maeve was also smart enough to know that her army would have already been defeated were it not for Fergus. To win him over even further, Maeve invited Fergus into her tent at night and seduced him into becoming her lover. Strange as it may seem, one who didn't have a huge problem with this was Maeve's own husband, Alil. This whole affair had come about because of a quarrel he and Maeve had had over who had more possessions, and had now escalated into the bloodiest war the island of Era had yet seen. Alil was more keen than anyone for the war to be ended, so that he could go home and have his love and his life back. And the King of Connacht really put his money where his mouth was when he discovered that Fergus and his wife were lovers. It is not the love we share, Alil thought to himself. Maeve has taken Fergus as her lover to win his loyalty. She is doing what she can to win the war. I will not allow jealousy to overpower my support. Such was the complex but trusting relationship between the King and Queen of Connacht. But once Cúchulain had entered his warp spasm and slaughtered so many of the collected forces, something changed in Alil. He went to Maeve. The time has come for Fergus to earn the friendship of your thighs. Time for him to prove his loyalty. He must be the next to face Cúchulain. Fergus had said many times that he would never face the Hound of Ulster himself. Cúchulain was more than an Ulster man. He was Fergus's family. But Maeve agreed with her husband. She got Fergus drunk, bedded him, and questioned his manhood. Fergus MacRoke relented and agreed to fight Cúchulain. The next morning, Fergus met Cúchulain at the ford. When the hound saw the former Ulster king approach, he felt a pang of sorrow. But this was soon followed by surprise, when he realised Fergus had come unarmed. "'You are very brave to approach unarmed, friend Fergus,' said Cúchulain. "'Even if I had armed myself,' It would have made no difference. You're too self-effacing. Not at all. It wouldn't have made a difference because I refuse to take up arms against you. Cúchulain was touched in a way he didn't know possible. So what do we do? he asked. I ask you to yield to me, said Fergus. Cúchulain considered this. 
There will be more war to come, said the hound, and we may meet again in battle. I yield to you today, if you will yield to me when next we meet. Of course I will. And for the first time ever, someone left a fight with Cucullan with their life. Alil and Maeve were incredulous to see Fergus return to the camp alive, much less without a scratch on him. What happened? demanded the queen. There was no winner, said Fergus curtly. That get back out there until there is, said Alil. I have faced Cucullan in single combat, which is more than can be said for either of you. I will face him again when it is my turn. For now, find yourself another body. Alil looked at Maeve and Maeve at Alil. They knew there was nothing that could be said or done. They were all out of options. And with no options, they searched for the impossible. And in the impossible, they found their champion. Queen Maeve said to Alil, We must make Ferdia fight. Ferdia Macdamon was the greatest hero in Connacht. He was a direct descendant from the Fear Bullock, who had fought the Tua de Danon and taken Connacht after their defeat. He was the second greatest warrior in all of Era. There was a time when he had been number one and had gone to the Isle of Skye to train in combat with Skatok the Shadow. While under her tutelage, Ferdia met a younger boy also from Era who initially was assigned to clean and sharpen his swords, but who soon salmon leaped to equal and surpass the warrior of Connacht. This was, of course, Cucullan. The two were equal in everything. They were as fast, as strong, and as keen. The only thing that could separate them was at the end of their training, Skatok gave to Cucullan the gay bulga the fatal spear made out of sea monster bone which filled the body of its victim with deadly barbs. It might have been the Hound of Ulster's youth or the fact that he had taken to bed Skatok's daughter that was why he was awarded the gay bulga over Ferdia. But to them it didn't matter. Neither Ferdia nor Cucullan ever met again anyone who was their equal. They were friends. They were brothers. They may even have been lovers but the two vowed to never, ever take up arms against the other. So when Queen Maeve mustered the armies of four provinces to take on Ulster and steal Don Cuna, the brown bull of Cooley, Ferdia refused to fight alongside his fellow Connachtmen. He defied his queen, all because he knew if he went to Ulster, he would have to fight Cucullan. But now Queen Maeve was out of all other options. She had poets and bards and satirists go to where Ferdia lived and chant vicious satires and cruel rumours about his inferiorities as a man and as a warrior. But Ferdia was not so easily fooled. Maeve then invited Ferdia to come to a mighty feast of champions, held of course where she presently made camp in Ulster. Ferdia knew what she was inviting him there to ask him to do, but did not refuse the offer of hospitality of his queen. Sure enough, when the Connacht hero arrived in Cooley and entered the queen's tent, a lavish and glorious feast was laid before him. There was no pretense. Maeve asked Ferdia, Do you know why I've asked you to come? Ferdia was not so blunt. Why shouldn't I be here? 
I am the equal and better of any warrior here. You invited me to feast, so let's eat. Very well, said Maeve. My daughter, Finnabar, will serve you. Finnabar needed no introduction. She was the daughter of Alil and Maeve, and the only woman in Connacht more desirable than her mother. She was the perfect combination of the fierce parents who had conceived her. Ferdia allowed the beautiful Finnabar to feed him wine long into the night until he was in a drunken, lustful stupor. Then Maeve said, Ferdia, if you fight Cucullan at the ford tomorrow, not only will I give you lands and riches greater than you could imagine, I will also give you the hand of Finnabar in marriage. I would not accept your daughter as a prize. Would that she were one, said Maeve. But truth be told, hero of Connacht, you are the man my daughter has chosen of all the men in Era, and I have introduced her to many. You are the love of her life. Whether you fight or not, Finnabar's heart is yours. But if you do fight the hound, you shall have her and my own friendly thighs too, if you want. We've offered him our daughter. We needn't offer him you as well, cut in Alil. You are most generous, my queen, said Ferdia. But even the heart of the jewel of Connacht, the gold of the clada that is your daughter, could not make me fight my brother, Cucullin. But Maeve had one more illusion at play. Then it is true what Cucullin has said. What did he say? asked the half-believing Ferdia. He said that you have become so old and weak that to defeat you would barely count as a victory. And in a toxic potion of the riches that had been offered, the wine he had drank and the beautiful young girl he had fallen for, Ferdia took this last comment to heart. He should not have said so. I have never fallen before him, and I shall not fall before him now. Everyone fears Cook Cullen and his gay bulga. Well, he was not the only one to receive a gift from Skatok the Shadow. My horn-skinned armor can be pierced by no weapon. What will happen when an unstoppable blade meets an indestructible armor? We shall find out at the ford. And there was a mighty and deafening shout went up from all of Maeve's army gathered in that tent. When Fergus MacRoke saw what had happened, he sent word to Cucullin that the next to fight him would be his own foster brother, Ferdia. And when the hound's charioteer Laig told his master this, Cucullin felt sadness he had not known since he had been forced to kill his own son. So Cucullin decided that night he should not spend alone, with just his charioteer for company. For the first time since the outbreak of the Thorn, Cucullin returned home to Eamon Macha to spend the night with his beloved wife, Emer. Why do you cry, McGraw? asked Emer. Do you fear this Ferdia? I do not fear him. I mourn him. Tomorrow my hand will be forced to kill my own best friend. And Emer held her husband's head in her arms and lulled him to sleep. The next morning, because Cucullin had returned home, it was Ferdia who reached the ford first. When Cucullin did arrive, he said, 
You are welcome here, my brother, Ferdia. Well, it was me who was here first, so it is I who should welcome you, which I do not. There has been many a time when we have been welcome in each other's arms, but this war has made your heart hard and your brain soft, and today you fall for it. Ferdia, I don't know what that treacherous woman king of yours has told you. You will not disrespect my queen or my province any longer. She's offered you Finnebar, hasn't she? Ferdia was silent. Word travels fast, the Connacht man said at last. No, said Cucullin. Maeve has offered Finnebar to every warrior who has faced me so far, and I have discarded each like a bloodied rag. She even offered the poor child to me if I lay down my arms. Ferdia could see in the thousand-yard stare of his beloved friend that what he was saying was true. But it was too late for that. He was at the ford now. They would have to fight. Enough talk, said Ferdia. It was never either our strong suits. That's a lie in you know it, said Cucullin. You and I loved to tell stories on those long nights in Sky when we trained in arms with Skathak. A time when you were barely fit to clean my sword. This hurt Cucullin. We shall see who is the fighter and who the squire. At last, said Ferdia, choose your weapon. Oh no, you arrived at the ford first. It's your decision until sunset. Very well. Let us use our great shields and our throwing spears. Trying to keep a distance already, goaded Cucullin. A wise decision. Fear not, Cucullin. We'll be close soon enough. And Leg and Ferdia's charioteers armed their respective heroes with great shields big as writing desks and with light, sharp spears capable of great distance and accuracy. That morning, the single combat of Ferdia and Cucullin began. They hurled spear after dagger across the ford like pagan darts players aiming past the bullseye to the one moving the dartboard. Neither ever missed. They always either hit the shield or grazed, cut or full-on stabbed their opponents. When sundown came, the two warriors rested. Cucullin had the greatest healers and druids tend to his wounds, after which he sent them over to Ferdia. He would not have his friend die of wounds sustained in battle. In turn, as Ferdia fought for four provinces, he had the greatest food in Era to eat, which he equally shared with Cucullin. The single combat resumed at dawn, with both warriors rejuvenated. Well, I had the choice yesterday, said Ferdia. What will we fight with today? Let us fight with our stronger stabbing spears, and let us take to our chariots. So the horses were brought, and the chariots yoked, and the second day's fight began. The chariots skimmed and bashed and crashed into each other, while spears swung and lunged and plunged deep into flesh. But when day was ended, there was still no winner. But the two horses were stable together, and the two charioteers slept by the same fire, and Cucullin and Ferdia slept back to back. The next morning they were rested, but definitely not rejuvenated. Your turn again, Ferdia, said Cucullin. No more distance, no more vehicles. 
Let us use our broadswords to take each other apart. You have already torn me apart, Ferdia, when you began this fight. Both heroes were armed with swords weighing the same as young tree trunks. They lifted and swung and hacked and slashed at each other with increasing cries and strains. Were they not as strong of flesh and muscle, each swing would have severed an entire limb. When the third day of single combat was done, both Cúchulainn and Ferdia were severely wounded, unrecognisable from the blood and exposed flesh and the weary fatigue of battle had got to both of them. That night, neither slept together, nor did their horses or charioteers. Something had changed. Ferdia awoke on the fourth morning and knew. This will be the day when one of us will fall. Cúchulainn has yet to use the gay bulga. He will use it today unless I kill him first. Today I shall wear my impenetrable horn-skinned armor. And Ferdia was wrapped in his fearsome and indestructible suit of armor, which covered all except the vulnerable spot between his legs. So there, Ferdia tied a stone for protection. When Cúchulainn saw Ferdia arming himself so completely, he did the same. The Hound of Ulster turned to his charioteer leg and said, if you see me losing today, Leg, you must goad and slag me. Call me weak. But if you see me winning, you must call sweet words to me to cool my temper. I will watch closely. Good luck, my friend, said the charioteer. When the two men met again, Ferdia said, What will it be today, Cúchulainn? Let us not decide on weapons, but let us fight in the waters of the ford. Ferdia was disheartened by this. It was in the ford waters that Cúchulainn had defeated all of Maeve's forces who had faced him. Very well, said Ferdia. And the two men began to wrestle in the waters. They pulled and tackled and plunged each other about like whale calves at play. With each passing moment, Cúchulainn's rage began to grow. Ferdia saw this and would flip and submerge him to cool his temper. But the third time he went under, the hound re-emerged like a Fomorian sea monster in his warp spasm. He was now twice the size and strength of Ferdia. Be calm, my sweet lord, called Leg in vain. But it was too late. The furious Cúchulainn drew sword and went for the kill. But the added size made Cúchulainn a messier fighter, and Ferdia eventually saw his opportunity and with tears in his eyes and pain in his heart, he plunged his sword deep into Cúchulainn's chest. The Hound of Ulster collapsed into the water. There is no choice, said Cúchulainn to himself, and he called out, Lake, the gay Bulga! And Cúchulainn's devoted charioteer sailed the deadly spear down the river to his master. When Ferdia heard this, he grabbed his shield and went to cover his vulnerable area. With the javelin still in his hand, Cúchulainn stabbed Ferdia in the heart. When the Connacht warrior went to defend his chest, Cúchulainn felt the gay bulga reach his foot and, grasping it with his toes, launched it between Ferdia's legs, shattering the protective stone. 
The gay bull got filled Ferdia's body, bursting his organs, shattering his bones, until the conic hero collapsed into his beloved friend's arms. It was not right that I have fallen by your hand, Cucullin, said the dying Ferdia. I know I was deceived by a desperate and ruthless queen. I am sorry I made you do this. Do not apologize. All you have in this life is your own honor. That is worth fighting, that needs be, dying for. I love you, Hound of Ulster. I know. And Ferdia MacDamon, the greatest warrior in Connacht, died at the Vord at the hands of his best friend. Cucullin let out a mighty howl befitting the hound he was. It was all sport. It was all play. Until Ferdia came to the ford. To be continued. And that was the story of Ferdia at the Ford, part five of the Tawn on Fireside. Oh, God. You'd be wrecked after that. That was, uh, that was an emotional one. Now, uh, what, an in, what an incredible piece, though. What an incredible story. You know, there's a lot. Cucullin fights a lot of people in single combat in the Tawn. You know, he's even fought a lot of people in single combat in the four parts so far that I've been doing um, and he fights hundreds, hundreds more that are very well described in various, in the various novel-length adaptations of the Taunt from Thomas Kinsler to Kieran Carson and beyond. And, of course, naturally it's going to get a little bit mundane because there's only so many ways to kill a man, especially with someone like Cullen, who you know is pretty much guaranteed victory. But the incredible thing about this fight with Ferdia is he genuinely is well-matched. And even though you have the deus ex gay bulga looming over the entirety of the tawn, you know, you could make the... It, it, the storytelling protects itself. It, the arm, it has storytelling armor much more than you'd expect or even think necessary for a tale as old as this. Because... You know, to a certain degree, logic can sometimes go out the window a little bit to a degree, or you have to explain things away with just kind of just cause, because to a certain degree, characters in folk tales and mythologies aren't conscious, so they only do things when they need to do them, and it's less so about their motivation. But these two warriors who fight here, they're both incredibly motivated, and what I mean by the storytelling armor is that Cucullin is given this this weapon, this deus ex machina of a weapon, the gay bulga, which can just defeat absolutely anyone with a single stroke. And he ha ends up having to use it for the first time on his own son. So for good reason, Cucullin never wants to use the gay bulga again and certainly doesn't want to use it against his best friend. But it's always there. He's always has it at his disposal. But this is given a bit more of a, 
a, uh, a well matched by the fact that Ferdia has this impenetrable armor, this hornskin armor, which can't be pierced by any weapon. So even in Kinsler's Thorn, you know, when Ferdia is made fight, it is referenced, you know, what about the gay bulga? And they say, well, it's fine because Ferdia has this. I don't know for sure that it was Skathok who gave it to him, but I like to imagine that it was. I like to imagine that she knew these, that she as a prophetess, which she was, that she could foresee that these two would eventually fight each other and wanted to make them well-matched by giving one an incredible... Uh, a, fatal weapon and the other an indestructible piece of armor but I think the big discovery when my research of this time was something I'd never realized before I don't know how because it seems to be quite explicit in quite a few versions of this I've read um, across the internet and and in my books and that is of course um, that the gay bulga goes through Freddy's crotch that that's where that's where Cucullin stabs him. You know, I kind of uh, like to picture it as the kind of area in between. There are some versions that uh, that say that he that he literally does just stab him up the ass, which is uh, a little too much for my liking. Uh, it's I like that it's this area that is so vulnerable and so unprotectable. Um, but when there is such a strong um, eroticism between Cucullin and Ferdia, which I didn't obviously overly go into, but I stated it and kind of I liked the idea of it being open-ended um, and that's why we haven't heard too much about this relationship between them, the two of them so far is that they regardless had this deep love and respect for each other and they may or may not have been lovers. I mean, like to my mind, it seems like they probably were, but then to have Cucullin defeat his former lover by stabbing him in the ass um, just seems to take on an almost homophobic twinge at the end there so I didn't want it to be that overt but um, certainly this image of it going through that vulnerable area between between the legs, between genitalia um, sailing up through the body and cracking these ribs and bursting these organs, I mean we really get to why this is such a bloodied and graphic tale whenever the gay bulga is used particularly. And even the fact the image of Ferdiab tying the stone between his legs knowing that it would be used. But just the sadness and the devastation of Cucullin uh, having to kill Ferdia. And there is a poem um, because... Kinsler's version, which which I find myself just using more and more, I'm just find that it's it's all it's all there, you know. Sometimes I look at other versions for a more condensed, uh, like you know, it, sometimes it can be too detailed, and I have to take a step back and say, okay, what's the what are the details that I need to tell this story? Um, but Kinsler's is obviously, as I keep saying, very much the gospel. Um, but it's written mostly in prose and then goes into verse, uh, usually only uh, in selective dialogue between characters. And towards the end of the chapter, after Cucullin is has slain Ferdia and Leg, his charioteer, is trying to get him to come away from the battle because he knows that the entirety of the armies of Connacht and the four provinces will be coming for Cucullin once they realise that Ferdia is dead. 
Um, Cullen speaks these words. It was all play, all sport, until Ferdia came to the ford. A like learning we both had, the same rights, the same belongings, the same good foster mother, her whose name is most honoured. All play, all sport, until Ferdia came to the ford. We had the same force and fury, and the same feats of war. Skatok awarded two shields, one to me, one to Ferdia. All play, all sport, until Ferdia came to the ford. Misery, a pillar of gold I have levelled in the ford. The bull of the tribe herd, braver than any man. All play, all sport, until Ferdia came to the ford. Fiery and ferocious lion, fatal, furious flood wave. All play, all sport, until Ferdia came to the ford. I thought beloved Ferdia would live forever after me. Yesterday a mountain slope, today only a shade. I have slaughtered, on this thorn, three countless multitudes, choice cattle, choice men, choice horses, fallen everywhere. The army, a huge multitude that came from cruel Cruahan, has lost between a half and a third, slaughtered in my savage sport. Never came to the battlefield, nor did Banba's belly bear, nor over sea or land came, a king's son of fairer fame. I just thought that was beautiful. And that phrase, which I borrowed there at the end for my version, uh, all all sport, all play, until Verdia came to the fore. That, that's really it for me. You know, you really see that this is the moment where Ku Cullen's, all of Ku Cullen's innocence is lost, you know, because this has been, as as much as it's worn on him and he is becoming weaker and he certainly doesn't really ever recover from this battle, um, it's still ultimately because he has defeated everyone with such ease except for when interfered by by the Morrigan. Um, it still has all remained sport and fun to him until he has had to face Ferdia. And there's just a great, there's a great sar- sadness to it and a sorrow to it. But going back to more the beginning of the story, uh, we see this dynamic, we see more of this dynamic between Maeve and Alil and Fergus. Fergus, who is this constantly torn character fighting for Connacht, but not fully being able to betray Ulster. And we have him facing Cucullan unarmed and Cucullan sparing him because he asks him to. And I love that 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 is not something someone has ever tried, you know, uh, that of just asking Cucullin to yield to them and Cucullin having enough respect and knowing the way that the war is going and that eventually this will be a war of two armies. It won't just be an army against one one person for very longer that he says, if I spare you today, Fergus, you'll spare me in the future. Which Fergus, of course, says, of course I'll do that. But we have uh, we have this reference to Fergus being Maeve's lover, which which he was indeed... I mean, Maeve as the first queen outright of Connacht uses, to a huge degree in the Thorn, um, her her sexuality and her body as as a prize and as a power. She she offers it right at the beginning to um, to the farmer who owns the brown bull of Cooley to try and get the loan of it for the year. And what's more interesting still than that than uh, Maeve using her sexuality as such a powerful way of getting what she wants is how 
open and okay Alil is with all of it. There's a, you know, in what, in just one, what has survived uh, is so much, uh, I suppose, like, patriarchal and all this. There's such pot- it's such a potent word, but, like, because it's so male-focused and you have... Uh, you you have not an eyelid batted when like Cucullin takes many women on board, but like Emer, his his wife is expected to be loyal to him and to not take any other lovers, and and he would never he would never forgive her if she took on other lover, lovers. But it's supposed to be fine when he does. It's quite refreshing to see Maeve have all the power here, and for Alil to have the trust. This is a very it's an incredibly progressive relationship that they have, even by today's standards. You can imagine how progressive that would be seen um, by people who are in more open, open relationships and polyamorous relationships. Is that Alil is totally fine with his wife sleeping with other men for the sake of a battle strategy, um, and that this is her sword and shield. This is what she can use to win this war, and I think that's an incredible detail to this story and poor El Finnabar Finnabar I haven't really had a look into she's been there um for all of the story but it is just the same thing he is she is offered to every warrior who fights Cucullin and she doesn't really have much of a say in any of this uh, but I thought it worked better as a reveal when Cucullin and Ferdia faced each other that Cucullin should be the one to tell Ferdia she's been offered to every man it's not special you know please don't do this that dialogue between they have them Cucullin is so desperate for Ferdia to not fight and Ferdia knows in his heart of hearts he shouldn't fight but it was inevitable his honour can only be called into question so much and that's really what it boils down to isn't it that Ferdia is trapped um, he is for- his hand is forced by his own name and honour. Eventually, you can only refuse to fight someone for long enough before it just seems like you're afraid of them. And at a time where your honour and your name was certainly all you had, I mean, you could say it's pretty much all you have now, today, but definitely back then, where kings and queens were brought down by a by a bad word or a bit of satire, that Ferdia would be forced into this battle knowing that if he didn't he would lose it all he would never be respected as a fighter again and he is he's the second best warrior in era if it wasn't for Cucullin he'd be probably be the greatest warrior of all time but alas he fought and they died at the ford but over these three days of combat we see we see different weaponry, we see different tactics, and it really does seem like a well-matched fight. And even at the end, no one gets such a, as no one gets such a wound on Cucullin as Ferdia does here. And it really looks like at the end that Ferdia has the upper hand before before Cucullin is forced to use the dreaded Gabolga. So I'm going to wrap it up there. But that was part five of, I think next time, I think next part six will be the finale, will be the final battle. What a journey it's been over these past few weeks. It's been so wonderful and so challenging to adapt this great, great story and these great from these great texts. So I hope you are enjoying them as much as, uh, as, much as I've been enjoying recording them. 
Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I don't think there's anything else really, just in terms of what I've been doing on the last couple of weeks. I was just on a short tour of Norway with Celtic Knights, the show I was touring America with. Uh, and it is such a beautiful country. It is it is a Norse country. It is a Viking country. And you really see where all of their mythology came from. And it was fantastic to perform there. It is definitely one of the most expensive places I have ever been. But I loved it and I look forward to going back. So I'm here. I'm in Ireland for the next couple of months before I go away again. Um, so look forward to doing more podcasts, doing more live shows, taking doing everything to take Fireside always to the next level. And I hope you'll join us on that journey. Thanks so much to Alan Paddy here at Headstuff. Thank you to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit this podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Fireside Bard, all one word. Uh, follow the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. Uh, leave reviews, ratings on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you all next time. And you'll hear me around the Fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.